He's going to reject the very thing that he's doing for that person right now. He sees another face that's just another person who's weeping out of compassion and, and they just they know this isn't right and they know it's not just. And he sees another one who's who's just got anger and hatred. And then there's another who's just so full of love and compassion in each one of them. He's, he's seeing in their eyes if they're going to respond and receive from him for the thing he's doing right there for them or if they're going to reject it. And I believe that that's what he's doing in this place right now. He's looking at each of us. And yes, it's for salvation. That's an important thing. And I believe there may be some here who need to receive that Jesus for salvation. But it's more than that. It's for what he wants to do in our life. He does not want any of us to leave this place today the same way we came into it. He's transforming us into his image. That's his, that's his heart. That's why he's jealous for us. He wants to transform us into his image. He doesn't want us to, to go to school or to go to work or to do the things we're doing tomorrow the same way we did them yesterday. He wants us to be responding differently. And he wants to do that in each of us right now. Who here wants him to make that change in their life? Raise your hand. Who wants, who can see Jesus, the, the face of Jesus right now? Just, he's just begging you to choose him, to choose more. Just receive that from Him. He wants to do that transformation in your life. Just, just receive it from Him now. Amen. Let's uh, continue recording this prophecy because um, I received a dream. Uh, a um, member of our church here emailed me this week a dream that they had. And I wasn't quite sure where it fit in the service, but I was just going to wait and see. And... This is the moment. I love, I love being part of a community of believers who welcome the Holy Spirit. Because he does so many multifaceted things that we could never predetermine. And we just make room for him. So thank you, Holy Spirit. So here, one of the elders in our church gets a vision before church starts of Jesus trying to give us good things. And some are receptive and some are not. And here's the dream, and this person is a member of our church that has recently started coming and comes from a church culture where these things aren't real prevalent. And yet, being in this atmosphere where we pray, God, give dreams, give vision, give revelation this week, throughout this week. Visit us, talk to us, communicate with us in a divine, supernatural way. Now that she is in this atmosphere, it's beginning to happen. And uh, so here's what she wrote to me. Um, in my dream... There was this man that showed a great interest and affection toward me. Can you guys hear this up there? Okay. You guys, teens, listen to this. In the dream, I, I felt flattered, but at the same time, felt that he was just too demonstrative of his love for me. He would, he would bring to me all these, uh, he would bring to me all these very out of the ordinary gifts and very large in size. I can't recall what they all were, but every time he would give me one of these gifts, he would make sure everyone around me was aware of them. <laughs> In the dream, I would feel embarrassed by his bold and open demonstration of his love for me. One day I was sitting with a group of people and I see him at a distance coming towards me. 
carrying something rather large, heavy and awkward in shape and covered with a dark cloth, holding it on his shoulder. I saw his face. I noticed he was tall, handsome, and obviously strong because of the way he was carrying such a big and heavy object on his shoulders. When he arrived, he said, I brought something to show you how much I love you. He uncovered it. My eyes could not believe what I saw. It was a cross. I woke up realizing it was Jesus. I sat on my bed shaking by the dream and thinking that throughout the whole dream, it was Jesus. He wanted to convey to me how much he loves me. Pastor John, can you, not, can you, you cannot imagine how I feel. The dream was so real. I know it was Jesus. For my Lord Jesus to personally tell me how much he loves me. I believe what the Lord is saying to us right now is he is trying to pour his love out on us. And we just need to be receptive. I like to say it this way. Let God love you. Okay, can we do that just for a moment? Just open your hands to God. And get into a posture. Let God love you. Let God talk to your heart. Don't be afraid of him. Let God heal your body. Release the anger, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness from your heart this morning. And let God set you free. I believe what the Lord has shown me right now is that he is trying to pour out great blessings on us. But we have the door locked. Our hearts are locked with a padlock on it. And we hold the key to unlock that door by just saying, God, yes, I will let you bless me. I will let you in once again. You just, I believe that the message is right now, get into a posture of receiving from God and watch what happens in this service and throughout this week. We receive, Lord. Jesus said, according to your faith, let it be done unto you. one of the things that uh, I believe the Lord wants to do in the house. Um, how many of you remember it said write down every chronic illness and disease in the church? And, you know, he's not telling us to do that so that we can just be really scared. I mean, he's not afraid of it. He, he took sickness and disease on the cross. So he knows he can conquer it. And he wants us to write it down. So I said that to you. Then a couple of days later in an elders meeting, Gary, one of our elders, was not in that meeting. He was not in the church meeting. And he comes into the elders meeting. And he said, before we start, I feel like God spoke to me. And this is what he told me he wants us to do. He wants us to write down every disease and chronic illness in the church. Now, how's that? I mean, I mean, can you figure that one out? Well, that doesn't take a rocket scientist to say, hmm, I wonder what God wants us to do. So. Uh, we begin to see some real significant healings and deliverances. See, this is the love of Jesus. 
Healing is one of the manifestations of the love of Jesus. Let me ask you this. How many times have you seen somebody suffering with a physical illness and you have this compassion well inside of you and you just want to heal them? If you could, you would heal them. How many of you? Raise your hand. Really, be honest about this. That compassion, okay? Jesus feels the exact same way, but you had to put C4 under it and just let it light it. I mean, Jesus' compassion to heal is so far beyond our compassion, and Jesus can't. And Jesus does. And so what I want to do is I want to make a new list because we haven't done one in a while. For those who don't know, the crutches up here, that's just not a word picture. A teenager came into our church that hurt himself in football, and he was on those crutches. And we prayed for him down here in the healing lines, and he was completely healed instantaneously. And that's why those crutches are up there. Those are, that's, that's a real story right there. We have many of those stories. If you haven't gotten our testimonial booklet that we have in the, uh, out, out in the resource center, get that testimonial booklet. Go on our website, read the testimonies. We have so many real, tangible testimonies of healing and deliverance in this house. It will so inspire your faith. And let me say this to you as well. If you uh, have not yet been healed, watch your posture, your internal posture. Be very careful not to be jealous, envious, or angry. And please don't conclude that God doesn't love you because he healed that person and didn't heal you. And please don't conclude it's not God's will for you to be healed because that's not biblical. Okay, so what is the answer? I don't know, but let's just keep pushing. Let's keep going for it. You know, I've used this example many times, but I'll use it again because it's a very important example. Um, I almost lost the use of my left hand through pain. And I, when I say the prayer teams come down here to pray, I came over here and had a prayer team pray with me. And about half of it went away. We actually saw a physical change in my hand. It was amazing. This one right here. I didn't even know which hand it was. It was my right hand. because All the pain's gone. It's amazing. And so, but it wasn't completely healed. Now, rather than concluding, okay, therefore God doesn't want me completely healed. The next Sunday, I came back down and got prayed again. And more of the pain left. Then the third Sunday, I came down and got prayed again, and the pain completely left. What is that about? Sometimes you just got to push the anointing into the disease. You see, Jesus prayed for a blind man twice. Why didn't he get healed the first time? I don't know, but Jesus didn't ask any questions either. He just said, you're half healed. You see men like trees. You used to be blind. Now you're half healed. Let's go for it. And Jesus prayed again. Um, Dutch Sheets wrote a book called uh, The Intercessor. Or intercessory prayer. His wife had a cancerous tumor. The doctor said, it's progressive. We need to operate right now. And Dutch Sheets said, give me 30 days to do it my way. And if that doesn't work, then we'll do it your way. So for 30 days, every day, Dutch would pray for his wife. And he'd pray in the spirit. He'd pray in other tongues, just praying for his wife. And he had an image that every time he prayed, the tumor was shrinking. Okay? It was progressive. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That word recover is a medical term that means either instantaneously or it's a progression of healing. So you can't shut off your faith. Sometimes it's a process. The anointing goes in there. And after 30 days, they went back and the tumor was completely gone. You see, sometimes, so, that, so what I want to say to you, if you've come down here for prayer before and it didn't happen, keep coming down. Keep coming. Pray in your connect groups. Uh, just continue to ask the Lord for it. And if you don't know the reason why you're not healed yet, just forget about it. Unless the Holy Spirit reveals something like you're, you know, you need to repent of something or you have unforgiveness in your heart or you need more faith, whatever it might be. Just keep moving forward in this healing. But as a congregation, let's partner with Jesus. Go after the sickness, the disease in the house. And if you say, well, that's too much emphasis on healing. Well, Jesus is the one that told us to do it. So argue with him. So. In your envelope, I just like to obey the Lord. Amen. In your envelope, on the, on, in your bulletin, if you have an envelope, uh, can you write on there um, a chronic illness or a disease that you're, you have in your body? 
not your friends, not somebody in another church, because we don't care about other people in other churches. We only care about people in our church. I'm kidding. If you're visiting, I joke sometimes and it's really bad humor. And I'm sorry. We love everybody. But this is Jesus' assignment to us. So if you have some disease or chronic illness in your body, please write it down on anything, a piece of paper, drop it into the envelope offering. I know I've taken a while to talk about this today, but I really feel like it's what the Lord wanted us to do. And then we're going to make a fresh list and we're going to start praying over these, bringing them to the Lord and believe God for you to be set free from what you may be suffering with. Okay, now let's just take a moment. I know you're writing, but will you, uh, will you put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you? And let's just ask Jesus to begin the healing right now. Okay, now, if you have sickness or disease in your body, will you raise your hand? Okay, now you know. Keep it, keep it up. Now you know the people raising their hands. Put your hand on the shoulder if you're close by. Come on, just raise your hand. And those that are raising your hand, remember, Jesus told us prophetically today... He's trying to give you something. Receive it right now. Lord Jesus, we ask you to heal people right here. Your people heal in this house right now. We take authority over every sickness, every disease, every chronic illness. We take authority over every harassing spirit and spirits of infirmity. You go in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Lord, we pray you explode in this place right now with your healing power. Lord, your presence is so strong here this morning. Lord, we pray that you now would drive out Sickness and disease from this body. Have your way, Lord. Show us your goodness again, Jesus. You are our healer. Heal, Jesus. Heal us now. We bind every sickness and disease in Jesus' name. And in your name, Jesus, we loose the kingdom of God in this house. Now let it flow, Lord. God, let fire flow in these youth down here. Lord, fresh baptism of fire, fresh and filling of your spirit in this house today for every soul, every person, God, bring healing and comfort. We trust you, Jesus. Can I, right before we move forward, I'm not going to do healing lines today because uh, I think that was sufficient and I'm taking up a lot of time, but uh, what happened? Uh, Good. Well, you know what? Let me, let me, uh, let me bring the microphone up here. And if you can get this recorded as well, so when people are listening on the lo- online, they can get a testimony that may spark their faith. Um, trying to get back into running after an injury with my back. And um, I was at work, and I tried to move my chair to the left. So I took my, my leg, my foot, and I strained the medial meniscus. And so I went forward for prayer because... Anybody who runs, any day you miss, it's like a month to try to get back into that routine. So, uh, and I didn't want to wait that two weeks. I want to get with my routine. So anyway, they laid hands on me. And the next day, although my sinuses said I couldn't run the one or two miles, I said, well, I'll walk the four miles. And I know it's going to sound really weird, but I really didn't even know I had a knee. (laughs) And I was... Telling uh, Chris, I said, would to God, the rest of my body felt like my knee felt. <laughs> but it was a great walk, and I have not had any trouble since. Praise God. Um, 
real quick, we need to move forward, but I, I love bringing uh, recognition to the things that Jesus is doing. We don't focus on what God's not doing here. We focus on what Jesus is doing. Somebody else, maybe last uh, week, last Sunday at the service, your prayer lines, we laid hands on you uh, like we did and released the healing anointing. We felt there was a moment of healing in the service. Somebody last Sunday or throughout this week experienced a healing that you did. Can you stand up real quick and, and uh, tell us what that was? I'm going to run on up here and let you testify. Okay, I'm not a preacher, but it's something I like to say just before I do anything. Thank you, Jesus. I give God all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. Amen. I have something that with me from the time I was pregnant with my last child. The doctor don't know what it is. I definitely don't know what it is. But God knows what it is. And many times I've been many places for, for prayer, and it will go away. And not last week, the week before that, I went to my nephew in Santa Clara. And um, it, I hasn't been up there for a long time, so they kept, my family's like that. A big thing, Auntie Monica come and yeah. they cook so, so much. So what happened in your body? And um, I don't know if it's something I ate or what, I don't know what it is. But the very sad thing, it come on like when you get into a child labor. But it just get worse and worse and worse. And the only way I can hold up is like this. Because huh. if I stretch, it's like something going to pop here. But um, I went to pastor after church and he ran out there and I was laughing at him. But he said, well, let me get somebody to help Monica. And he got me two, a brother and a sister in church outside yeah and they prayed for me and they asked me are you still feeling it i said slightly and they prayed again but while they were praying i felt something running from here all the way down here and i just leaped and i said thank you jesus and i've been claiming it ever since this time it's gone for good so so there's no pain there anymore praise god Amen. Okay. Well, I don't have time to give any more, uh, get any more detailed testimonies, but raise your hand if in the last week you've been touching your physical body and healed of something and you know that make your church home. Come uh, visit Mind and Hope's home. We're going to make you dinner so you get a free meal if nothing else. And um, great place to ask questions about the church, find out more about us, and uh, man, join the ranks. So you guys ready to get into the Word today? Yeah. All right, come on. Let's, let's welcome the Holy Spirit to teach us. Holy Spirit, you are the teacher. And we love the way you illuminate the word to us. We pray you open our eyes and our hearts. I pray for those today, Lord, that uh, have heard the same sermon a million times and they drone out. Lord, will you? I pray tonight, today, there will be childlikeness in our hearts to know you can't know all there is to know about God. And he might be speaking to you something specific right now. So, Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts that are humble. Make us hungry students of heaven's words. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Today I want to continue what I was talking about last week, which is a prophetic word I believe God has spoken to me as well as to others, and I feel like it might be for some as well. And when I get into something and I see that it's beginning to affect others, I start to realize this word really is for others. And that word God gave to me was slow down. And I've been hearing some things this week from uh, people about how God has given people opportunities to slow down. 
I just spoke to someone this morning who said that she was really in a rush and she was trying to get things accomplished, had a lot to do that day, and she went to help out a friend who's elderly, and her friend could not find her wallet for a half hour, and she was sitting in the house going, we got to go, and she said, have you seen my wallet? And I was thinking, but I didn't want to say it, but somebody else in the Bible said, he said, yep, that was God giving you an opportunity to say it, slow down. He's throwing these little opportunities in our way to slow down because I think he's trying to get something across to us. I think he knows that most of our lives are represented by this picture right here. For those listening on the web, there is a the speed limit is 50 and the sign says you are going 167. How many of you feel that way? Like you're going 167 most of the time on the inside. You may look cool on the outside, get everybody fooled. But on the inside, you're going about 167 when God is saying, I really want you moving about 50 miles per hour. And so the key is for us to get on God's page rather than trying to get God on our page. Let's look at... Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. This is the most classic text to go to when we want to teach on this subject. And I know some of you get really irritated when we teach on Martha because you feel like, well, it, she is being responsible. Quit throwing Martha under the bus. And, you know, who, Martha's probably tired of us teaching on her. Look, she, she's not in heaven cowering in shame somewhere hiding from the body of Christ because she you know, messed up in this moment. I've heard many teachers and preachers, and I was with some this week in a round table in the area that tried to redeem Martha by saying, well, you need to look at it from a positive angle regarding Martha. In this moment, she was missing the Lord. We just got to be honest about it. There are other moments she was not missing the Lord, like when he came to raise Lazarus from the dead, and she was the one that had faith. But in this instance, uh, she was missing him. And you just need to be okay with that and tell your flesh to shut up. Okay, let's read the word. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. (laughs) I love God's response. I mean... She's clearly out of line telling God what to do, kind of like Peter did. And, of course, he got called Satan, but Jesus was much more gentle with Martha. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are so worried and upset about many things. He nailed her internal condition. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. See, the truth is, if we don't slow down, we're going to miss something God has for us. But if we slow down, we feel like we're going to miss that important email, that important phone call. You know, the kids are going to go up stunted if they're not in every sport that is uh, available to them. I mean, my wife and I, in fact, just recently, I mean, we were looking at the... the schedule, you know, my, uh, Isabella was in soccer, and then, so you go to, you know... A practice, two practices, and then you got a, got a game, and then Isabella's in soccer, and that's two practices in the game, and well, one practice, and we're looking, I'll get it accurate, okay, I'm exaggerating, I'm trying to make the picture very, okay, Isabella, oh, and Lily, <laughs> tough crowd, right here, and uh, we looked at that, and uh, listen, 
we sat down and we looked at the schedule and we thought we will be at practices every night and we're going to be all day Saturday at games. And I said, we are not doing that. Our children will not be emotionally disfigured, mentally handicapped, and behind the rest of humanity because they didn't get to play all the sports and stretch our family out of measure. And yet we feel like we have to do this for our kids. I'm meddling right now. But we are making the determination to slow down. And here's, you know, kids were interviewed. And you know what they said? If there's one thing that they wish their parents would change, having us involved in so many things. The kids, they just want some downtime. Isn't that amazing? They get it. They want to slow down. But the more important thing is that we will miss things that God is trying to transfer to us. This isn't about shame. This isn't, oh, God, I feel so horrible now. He's preaching to me. This is about capturing all that God is trying to give to you. If it brings conviction, don't let condemnation set in. This isn't God's goal for you. And Jesus wasn't shaming Martha. Condemnation is a dead end. But the truth spoken in love can be a life changer. So let's look at the three things that Martha could have gotten from Jesus if she would have just slowed down. Number one is his perspective. He said only one thing is needed. That is so. That's the paradigm shift for Martha right there. Because she needed to provide for her guests. You need to cook dinner. You need to be at that meeting. You need to be on the phone with your mother because she's in need. You need to be doing these things that are obviously necessary. And yet Jesus, very clearly, God spoke into her world and trumped what she thought was obviously the most important thing to be doing. And if we're not listening to God, we won't hear him tell us what the right thing to be doing is. Most of the time, that would have been the right thing for her to be doing. But we need to leave room for God to interject an idea, a priority that would not be on our, our, our radar screen at that moment, in our natural rhythm of life. And he's saying, right now, that is not the most important thing to be doing. Now, I'm sure if she were to go sit down with Jesus, I'm sure she might have been, okay, great, I'll come sit down. With God for a moment. But I know what he's going to tell me. I mean, it's obvious. I've heard the sermons. I've heard every, every rabbi in Jerusalem preach. I've been to church. Okay, I know what God would say in this situation. Because it's obvious what he would say. If I go sit with God, take time out to go sit with God, what are my priorities? That's like a no-duh. He would say, well, Martha, you have guests. You should be cooking. And of course, Mary, you should be helping Martha. So why should I go sit down in my thinking chair, my prayer chair right now, just to hear God tell me what I already know he would say? See, that is where we miss a lot of God. We need to let God have an opportunity to say something we might not be expecting. This is so counterintuitive for what Martha thought God would be telling her to do in this moment. And she missed it. And she missed out on things like God's perspective. How many of you have ever uh, been to the doctor and you are really feeling like the doctor's not listening to you? You have symptoms in your body, right? You know what's been going on. And if you're a doctor here today, God bless you. Thank God for you. And we're going to be running to your office when we need you. But sometimes we can feel like doctors really aren't listening or counselors. Even when you come to me, sometimes I do my best to listen. Sometimes 
You feel like I'm not hearing you, and I'm, I'm not. I'm trying, but I'm not. I mean, whenever you're in a, a, a healing uh, industry, many times the person that's sick emotionally, mentally, physically feels like they're not being heard. And we're trying to tell you what the symptoms are, and yet we feel like you're just not paying attention to us. But you know God feels the same way many times. God knows what the route to your emotional, mental, spiritual, physical ailment is, but we're not listening to the doctor. Tell her to help me. We're giving him the prescription. And the doctor saying, Mary, what you need to do is just sit down. Here's a great. <laughs> the joy of the Lord. See? Unless you become like a little child, you just won't get this message. Sometimes you lose what you have or what God's trying to give to you by not slowing down. Look at this passage. Proverbs 1430. Did I, is that the next passage? I know I've mixed it up on you. Okay, look at this passage. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. A calm and undisturbed mind and heart are the life and health of the body. Many of you come down for prayer and we lay hands on you and we can pray with you all day long. But if you are running 167 miles per hour on the inside when the speed limit's 50, we can lay hands on you all day long. But the source of the sickness is anxiety and being troubled and worried about many things. And medical science has proven that. They even say, they have, they have uh, said in medical journals, 85% of sicknesses and diseases are linked to stress. Why do you think God's telling us to slow down? Jesus almost always had a different perspective on things than those around him. Talking about getting God's perspective on things, slowing down to hear him. The Pharisees. The Pharisees thought they had God's perspective. He loves us and he hates people. And just the opposite was true. That's why they hated Jesus when he showed up. Jesus rebuked the spiritual leaders and he went to hang out with the people they thought God hated. He had a completely opposite paradigm. He had an opposite perspective of his own disciples. These guys are walking with Jesus, just like you and me. But just because you're walking side by side with Jesus, just because your Bible's in the living room, just because you hear a sermon doesn't mean you're actually, you actually have his perspective yet. God's sitting in her living room. And he, she does not have his perspective. And he's an arm length away. Your Bible's sitting there in the living room. Just because it's there doesn't mean, just because you read it doesn't mean. We need to ask Jesus, give me your perspective today on this situation. And so here's the disciples walking with Jesus. They left all to follow him. And one town didn't want Jesus. So what didn't James and John say? Lord, you want us to call fire down on the city? We're going to burn those sinners. And Jesus is like. <laughs> See, we can have the wrong attitude and perspective even as Christians going to church, speaking in tongues, reading our Bible. We've got to slow down and ask Jesus, what is your perspective on this situation? I'm practicing that with every individual in my life, every situation in my life. I'm practicing and learning to slow down, stop Jesus. What do you say about this? And so often he gives me scriptures or images for individual people. And then that is the way I behave with that person or in that situation. And it's so often it's, it's, it's counterintuitive to what I would normally do. But I am finding the fruit of it is amazing.
Submitting to God and getting his perspective is so critical. And yet we just run around so fast. We just feel like we don't have time for it. Or uh, this is a little deeper issue. We just feel like we would really rather make up our own mind and do our own thing. Uh, well, you know, I'm going to move on from that. that that's, that's too deep to get into. Look what uh, Habakkuk says. He has a situation in his life. Habakkuk chapter. Uh, when you read the whole uh, first chapter of Habakkuk, you see that he is distraught because the nation is jacked. I know we can't relate to that, but he's he is he's saying the leadership is corrupt. Uh, they're not. They, they turn their back against God. The economy's upside down. You read the first chapter of Habakkuk. And looking at the natural situation, Habakkuk has no hope. But the last verse in the book of Habakkuk, or the first first verse in chapter 2 of Habakkuk, is what most of us don't do. We can read, watch Fox News, which I hope is the only news you watch, and you can look at, that's terrible, and you can look at uh, the, the landscape of our nation, and you can feel hopeless and overwhelmed, and listen to AM radio all day long and just suck on it. And then all of a sudden you're angry and mad. And, and, uh, and not that getting, not that listening, not that listening and reading news sources and recognize what's going on isn't, uh, important. But verse one of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter two is what most of us don't do. And it's the critical piece. Once you see the mountain in the landscape, we've got to do this next piece. I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord will say and how he will answer my complaint. Another translation says, I will see how he corrects me. What is God's perspective? And don't think you have it just because some of you are Republicans. I know this has been said, I'll say it again. God's not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. He's not an independent. God is God. And we got to get on his page. Amen. Oh, boy, I just <laughs> I'm pushing some buttons. All I'm saying is get on God's page. I can tell you what channel he's on. OK, so. <laughs> So the Lord responds to Habakkuk. And what does he say? Then the Lord said to me, write my answer. So God has an answer. Plainly on tablets. So a runner can carry the correct message to others. Obviously, it wasn't Habakkuk's message. Woe is us. For the vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faith in God. 
And then Habakkuk, and then the Lord explains further to Habakkuk through the book, God's perspective. And this is what causes Habakkuk to have this greatest declaration of faith in the entire Bible at the end of Habakkuk when he gets God's perspective, God's perspective on the situation out of Habakkuk's, I can't say it, is it Habakkuk or Habakkuk? What can we call him? Let's call him Habby. The first, out of, out of Habakkuk's soul, the first chapter is blah. Then he gets God's perspective because he slows down and asks for it. God gives God him, him his perspective. And the last thing out of Habakkuk's mouth is this. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and Wall Street's a mess. And there are no grapes on the vines. And um, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren. Even though the unemployment is over 10%. Even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. Yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer and able to tread upon the heights. In other words, God said to him, it's going to be all right. I am going to handle it. What does that do? That causes you to go from 167 on the inside down to 50. God's in control. But there's no way you can get that if you don't sit down and shut up and listen to Jesus. I really mean that. I really mean that. I mean, I know for me, it's just, you just got, you just got to slow down and listen. One whisper from the Lord can calm your soul like a thousand sermons couldn't. Or anything else on earth. The whisper of Jesus. Secondly is she and you and I will gain his peace. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. First, we can gain God's perspective. And I could teach on that all day. Second is his peace. Notice that Jesus was never rushed. Notice that Jesus was never rushed. Do you know Jesus' things to do list makes yours look really easy? He had to recruit, train, deploy, preach, heal, save, deliver, die on a cross, be raised from the dead, all, and he had three and a half years to get it done. He had to recruit and disciple people like us to delegate the church to, and he had three and a half years to do it. That's insane. Everybody was pressing around him every day of his life. Crowds of people. Can you imagine if email and texting was available back then? (laughs) You know, we thought technology was going to slow us down. In fact, that's what that is what the experts said, that when email, when, you know, when Al Gore invented email and we had texting (laughs) I'm sorry, that's terrible. I shouldn't say things like that from the pulpit. Texting. When, when, when all of these, when technology started to advance rapidly, what we were told was, and what we believed was, it will give us more time because we will get things done more quickly. What has happened? Just the opposite. And it has sped us up so fast, 
And I'm saying, get off the treadmill. When my phone rings, my kids know. They'll go, Daddy, your phone's ringing. I'm just not even paying attention to it. I'm talking to my wife right now. I'm with my kids right now. I'm watching football right now. No, I'm serious. Just because the phone's ringing doesn't mean you have to get up and answer it. Just because your cell phone vibrates doesn't mean, oh, oh God. no, just let it vibrate. Rarely is somebody on their deathbed. And that's the reason they're texting you. Yeah. Oh, you know what's happening. You know, absolutely. The thumbs could still be. Really? Most of things are not urgent. John Ortberg, who's a great preacher in our land, was uh, resigning from uh, Willow Creek, Bill Hybels, and he was going to go take over another major organization. So he calls Dallas Willard, who is one of the greatest thinkers in Christendom that has ever lived. And Ortberg calls Dallas Willard and says, I'm leaving this organization. I'm going to take over this other organization. I need some wisdom. Give me like three good pieces of wisdom. So Dallas Willard said, okay, number one. And John Ortberg's ready to write. And he said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And he said, okay, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life. Okay, number two. <laughs> and Dallas Willard said, number two, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. From his life. It took like. Number three, for him to finally get, oh, you really, oh, yeah. And you might say, oh, you know, this is easy for you. You don't know my life. Well, now you're sounding like Martha. Jesus knew Martha's life. He knew what her responsibilities were. And yet he was sitting back as cool as a center seed in a cucumber on her porch, on her, on her couch, just sitting there, watching her running around. And and God is just sitting there. Now, you might think, well, that's irresponsible. I was thinking when Mark did this word picture last week for us, where he told us, close your eyes, pretend like you're carrying this big, heavy uh, weight, this bag full of stuff up a mountain, and you get to the top, and it's hot, and you're sweaty, and there's Jesus sitting under a tree, and you walk up, and he says, unload your bag and sit down. What are you, what are you feeling? What were you feeling? For those that were here last week, you remember that. What were some of the th- thoughts you felt when... We were doing that word picture, and you dropped the bag, and Jesus was sitting. You felt relief? Somebody else? Huh? Refreshing? Freedom? You know what? The first thing I felt? Irresponsible. Come on, be honest. How many of you feel irresponsible if you have things to do, and yet you're going to sit down and just get alone with God for a few minutes, and you know your things to do list is this long. How many of you ever feel irresponsible on the inside? Thank you very much. The rest of you liars can go to another church where you can fake it till you make it. But here, we're just going to be real. You feel irresponsible, and you've got to be counterintuitive with that. And say the most, re- the most responsible thing I can do is be alone with God. Now, let me say this. And uh, I don't know, would it be too boring? Would it be going too slow for me just to stretch this out till next week as well? Because we're not done. But we're kind of running out of time here this morning. How many of you are bored? You'd rather me teach something else next week. Raise your hand. Okay. 
Okay, a whole bunch of other liars that we just lost out of our congregation. Our church is just dwindling. Um, now, here's what I want to say about this, because this, see this 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 word from the Lord, when God speaks one word, you really can teach on it for a year and a half. When God speaks a word, slow down and you can just talk about what that means forever and keep applying it to your life in different ways. So let me let me say this to those who are interpreting slow down means. Okay, what you're saying is I'm supposed to sit down and spend a lot of time with God and let a bunch of my responsibilities go. And that's okay because it's a spiritual thing to do. This is honestly, this is what I experienced when I was an employer here in San Diego before I was a pastor. And I would have Christians who were late for work continuously on Sunday. And their excuse was, oh, we were caught up in the glory. Oh, the sermon was so good. I was at the altar call where I was praying. You understand. You're a Christian. And my response is, I do not understand. And I'm a Christian. Because I hired you to do a job. And you're supposed to be here at a certain time so we could build this business. And they just could not believe that I would be so unspiritual to expect them to be at work on time when they were Alone with God, doing a spiritual thing. But you see, the book of Proverbs says working is also a spiritual thing. Responsibility and faithfulness is also a spiritual thing. That work was given by God to you and I in the Garden of Eden. Work is not a curse. And we need to be faithful in the little thing. And God will make us ruler over much. And so, honestly, I found believers to be some of the worst employees. Because they're all led by the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit doesn't lead you into unfaithfulness and being late. Yeah, you want to jump in? Yeah, come on. Well, I got to get the, I got to give the other side to it. And that is. Um, well. Now you've distracted me and I can't remember what the other side is. So you come do your part and then I'll continue with my part. Here comes Mr. Dr. Contemplative. He's got something to say about this. <laughs> Mr. Lazy. I have a cell phone. He's like, I could preach it so much better than you. We just sit down. You're in my territory now. I, I finally, I got my first cell phone. Two, oh, this two is years what he's going to use this no, for. This, he's going to use this. I got my first cell phone to validate. None of you know the number. None of you know the number for my cell phone. And just so you feel relieved, you never will. It's there for me to use for things that are urgent. And being interrupted when I'm alone and interrupted when I'm with God in the car driving someplace and interrupted by things that aren't that important is not going to destroy my life. I don't, you know, boundaries, right? That's not what I came up here to say. But I came up here to oh, say, oh, yes, it was. No, I just threw that in. Just threw that in. <laughs> that was gratis. Um, on Wednesday, I was in my quiet time in the backyard and um, I was reading a book by Graham Cook and from Mary. And he said, um, you need to pay attention to the questions that God asks you. Questions from God are really, really important. He has something in mind when he asks you a question. And I hadn't thought about that. So. I said, God, is there any question you'd like to ask me today? And I was about 20 minutes into my quiet time. And he said, uh, by said, I had a thought in my mind that I attributed to God. 
He said, what would it take for you to really enjoy me? Cool, huh? I mean, that's a good question. What would it take for you to really enjoy me? And I thought about it. And the thought that came to me, the answer was plain. I said, well, I would have to, uh, I would have to wait and long for you. That's probably what's missing. I'd have to be more waiting and I'd have to really want you. And then I started to think about how to wait. And I've studied waiting in the Bible a lot. And one of the characteristics of waiting in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word, it doesn't mean waiting like this. Where are you? Where are you? That's not how you wait for God. Waiting in the Old Testament is always mixed with expectation that he's going to do something. He's coming. You're waiting and he's coming. So that truth dawned on me and I started saying, I'm not even sure why, I just started saying, you're coming. You're coming. To me. Today. Now. You're coming. You're coming. You're coming. And I must have said that for a minute or two. Only a minute or two, but I kept saying, you're coming. And there was an expectation that was building. He's coming. He's going to do something. I don't know what he's going to do, but he's here for a reason. You're coming. You're coming. And all of a sudden, I started to chuckle. It just started as a little chuckle. Pretty soon, I'm just laughing my head off, embarrassed in the backyard. Pete, my chihuahua, is looking at me like, I haven't done anything funny yet. (laughs) And the Spirit of God just came, and this joy came, and I just laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed for about 20 minutes. And then it just left. What will it take for you to really enjoy me? And it probably, I'm sharing this today because it has to have something to do with what you're teaching. If it doesn't have something to do with what he's teaching, then I have not known God ever. If you're going to enjoy him, you're going to slow down. You can't, listen, you can't enjoy him at 167 miles an hour. Because he is a, look, he is so old, he moves slowly. Uh, He's older than me. He is just not. He doesn't have in his. He can't say the word hurry except as a bad thing. Right. So you're going to have to slow down to enjoy him more and then learn to wait and wait with expectation. There isn't a moment that he doesn't have an idea of what he'd like to either say for you or do for you or express himself for you. Every minute of the day, he has an idea of what he'd like to be for you right now, what he'd like to say for you right now and how he'd like to touch you right now. Every minute. Every minute, he's always thinking about you. Always something good. Always something worth waiting for. Sometimes it's spectacular, like the air show, and sometimes, and sometimes it's just stillness and peace. But there's always something he has in mind for you. Okay. Thanks, Mark. And the Bible says that... Uh, a merry heart does good like medicine. So when you sat there with the Lord and then by being quiet, he was able to speak to you and cause you to chuckle. That can heal your body. You see? And um, that's what the Lord's after. Is to give us his peace is what we're talking about. Here is the balance of what I'm saying. What I don't want you to do is, is to interpret the, the application of this message 
to physically sitting alone with God rather than doing a bunch of things, which is critical that you have that into your, into your rhythm. But do you know that you can sit? Now catch this, please. This is the big drop today. You can sit in the presence of God and be going 167 miles per hour on the inside. And you can be physically serving and be going slow on the inside. The issue isn't always what you're doing externally. It's what's happening internally, which brings us to the trust issue, the relinquishing of control issue, the doing what you know God's called you to do right now issue. Because sometimes you'll be in prayer and alone and he'll say you need to get up and help. I'll close with this thought. Do you know how many beats per minute a hummingbird's heart pounds? How many beats per minute a hummingbird? Whoa! Very close. 1,260. Say he is spiritual. That's one of the elders of our church. He said 1,200. 1,260 times a minute. Have you ever seen them? Miss Brenda, my mother-in-law, she's put these so many bird feeders around our house. We look like an aviary. You come visit, and you guys have to get through the birds. I mean, it's like Alfred Hitchcock, the birds. And, uh, and, but have you ever seen when they come up to eat, like this? I mean, they are, they are, they are so paranoid. I mean, their hearts all they're doing is eating. Now, you and I know by sitting there in your chair and watching them, you know, there is no danger within 100 miles. But this hummingbird thinks that someone's going to eat them alive any second. And that is about for you and I, it's about trust. See, we can't see our life, but God can. It's a lot like have you ever um you know, flown into San Diego airport and you see San Diego and you see it from a, like a helicopter uh, heights view. Oh, that's the road I take to work. Oh, that's the exit that I get off there. And you see how all the roads connect. How many of you have done that? And it's kind of neat to watch the city and the streets usually are on. Well, that's the way God sees our life all the time. He knows the dead ends. He knows the shortcuts. He knows which way we should go. You and I, being on the ground, can't see things. We're making wrong turns and we're rushing real fast. We can't see our lives from the viewpoint God can. We think that we're going to be harmed at any second. Many of us are like hummingbirds. Man, we're just so fast-paced on the inside and we're so paranoid. And yet God is sitting back looking at our life from heaven's viewpoint saying there's just nothing to worry about. Do you know how many beats an elephant's heart beats per minute? Gary? I specialize in uh, hummingbirds. Gary? <laughs> specialize in hummingbirds. Give us your best shot, and we're going to have to close up today. 25. 28. An elephant's are very productive, powerful, forceful. And they have fun splashing themselves with water, splashing in the mud. Humans' hearts average are supposed to be 70 times per minute. I wonder where your heartbeat is today. I wonder if it's linked to a lack of trust in God's goodness and provision in your life. I wonder if maybe you have too much on your plate and God hasn't filled your plate that full. 
I just want to ask you this week to practice slowing down. And I believe, and I've seen it this last week in my life and some of your lives, I believe God is going to purposely create scenarios in your life this week to give you opportunities to practice what I was preaching today, to slow down. And what you're going to find, I believe, is you get more leverage out of slowing down rather than less. Just get off the treadmill, ask Jesus what it is you're supposed to be doing now. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that this word was sufficient enough for you to work with. And Lord, I pray that we don't reject this message and just go back to getting on the treadmill. We ask you for wisdom. We ask you for hearts to calm down this week. We ask for a reduction of blood pressure. We ask, Lord, that there would be physical healing, but more important, spiritual healing this week. Emotional, relational healing. That we would not be like hummingbirds this week. You created us human beings. Teach us to walk with your pace, God. Now I pray peace over you today in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord's peace, Jesus' peace, rest upon you and be in your heart this week. May your ears hear His voice and may your heart obey. In Jesus' name.